Now, I have a question. How many brothers or sisters do you guys have? You only have one, right? I only have one. You have one? Yeah, he's right. But you're the older one, right? Yeah. So you can be in charge, yeah. right? <laughs> and you have older or brother? Older or younger? Older. Older. So you're the baby of the family. That means you can do anything you want. No, that's right. You can't. And you have how many? How many kids are in your family? Four. Four. I have seven. Not my own kids. But when I was growing up, I was the oldest of seven children. There was me, my brother Chris, my sister Denise, my my brother Chuck, my sister Patty, my brother Jeff, and my sister Kelly. There were seven kids. And there were four boys and there were three girls. And so when we lived, my dad was in the, in the, in the U.S. military. He was in the Navy. And so when we would move from our base to the next base to the next base, the Navy would always give us a house to live in. And we always had to have four bedrooms because there were so many people. And so my mom and dad had one bedroom and the three girls had a bedroom. And then the two younger boys, Chuck and Jeff, had a bedroom. And then my brother Chris and I had a bedroom. And Chris was just one year younger than me. And so we always, always, wherever we lived, we always shared a bedroom. And at one point in our life, we actually didn't have two separate beds in our bedroom, but we had one bed that we slept in together. So it was like a a full-sized bed, and he had his side and I had my side, and that was our bedroom. Well, my brother Chris was a pig. He did not keep the room clean. He always threw his stuff all over the room. And one day, my mom said, you boys, go in your room and clean that room. Make the bed, put your toys away, get your dirty clothes off the floor, put them in the hamper, make that room clean. So we got to our room and Chris was like, I'm not doing it. And I was like, Chris, we've got to do our room together. We've got to clean the room. And he's like, I don't want to clean the room. I said, Chris, we have to clean the room. He said, I don't want to clean the room. So you know what we did? I only cleaned my half. (laughs) I put away my toys. I put away my clothes. And I even made half of the bed. (laughs) When my mom came in, guess what happened? I got a spanking. Mom, I did what you told me to do. No, you didn't do what I told you to do. I did. I put all my stuff away. I told you to clean this room. I cleaned my part. No, I didn't tell you to clean your part. I told you to clean your room. But mom, Chris wouldn't help. I don't care whether Chris was helping or not. You knew what I expected. And how? what is this? You make half the bed. I got spanked. And then Chris got spanked. And then we had to clean the room. And then we had to make the bed. It wasn't fair. Because I did what I was supposed to do. And I still got spanked. And that wasn't right. But did I do the right thing? No. Because what did my mom say? Clean the room. Make your bed. Whether my brother wanted to help me or not, I still had to do what my mom said. So 
I was being selfish, going, I only clean my side. And that's not the way you do it. You do what your mom and dad tell you to do. And don't worry about whether your brother or your sister are doing what they're supposed to do. If they don't do what they're supposed to do, mom and dad can spank them. But at least you're doing the right thing. It's exactly the same way with God. When God asks us to do something, we shouldn't go, well, they're not doing it. We should say, yes, God, I will do what you ask me to do. Whether anybody else follows, I'll do what you want me to do. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to love him enough, to trust him enough, to obey him. And then after that, all the other people can do what they have to do. And God will sort that out for them. But us, we just have to make sure that we always do what God asks us to do. No matter what. No matter if anybody else helps us. So I want to pray with you guys. And I want to ask God to bless you. And then we're going to send you back to your class, okay? Jesus, bless these kids. Help them, Lord, to come to an understanding of what it means to honor you no matter what anybody else is doing. To love you, to serve you, to follow you, regardless of anyone else being part of it. And I pray, Father, that you would draw these kids into a very close and vital relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can go back now, okay? Thank you so much. True story, folks. I really only made half the bed. And I got whooped. (laughs) I don't know that my mother has ever been that angry before. She was furious. (coughs) Excuse me. Open up your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 25. This, for me, this chapter... It's an interesting story, but um, when I was looking at the so what, I was like, ah, God, what is the so what here? So we're going to look at the story. The story is a little bit lengthy, so we don't have time to read the entire story. Let me just give you a quick synopsis. There are three major characters in this story. Now, the very beginning uh, verse of chapter 25 tells us that Samuel died and they buried him. And then David moved to a place called the Wilderness of Paran. And um, if you have if you have your maps that I gave out a few weeks ago, this is the Dead Sea. And then you'll see in the middle over here, you'll see Ziph, Hebron, Ziph. Then you'll see below that Carmel. And then you'll see Maon, M-A-O-N. Paran and Maon. Same, same. Why? Don't ask me. I'm not the one that made the names on the map. But that's literally, if you see on a map, Maon or Paran, that's basically the same area. And so David took his people farther south away from uh, King Saul's people. And while he was there in that area, (coughs) they came near the lands of a very rich man whose name was Nabal. Now, the word Nabal, the name Nabal means fool. That's a wonderful name to name your child. But that's the name of this guy, Nabal. And the guy named Nabal had a wife whose name was Abigail. Abigail means father of joy or leader of joy. And then there's David. 
Those are the three major characters in this passage. Basically, Nabal has a landholder. He has all of these uh, sheep and goats and they graze all over the place. He has servants that take care of them for him. He's a very, very wealthy man. And Abigail runs the household for Nabal. And Abigail, from the little bit of that we're able to get from this story, is kind of in a loveless marriage. She doesn't really honor her husband other than the fact that he's her husband. But she doesn't really, there's not a lot of intimacy there. There's not a lot of love. Nabal is just a jerk. Nabal is a very selfish man. And at this point in the story that we, that we pick it up, there's a, uh, uh, it's the sheep shearing time. Okay, so this happens usually once a year. And this is a time of gathering together of all the, the, the critters and they're shearing the sheep. And there's this, it's almost not a, it's not a party, but it's like a party. I mean, there's this big gathering of all the workers. And so Abigail's job is to make sure that there's enough food to take care of all the workers that have gathered for this sheep shearing time. And Nabal is overseeing this big event. Well, it is the perfect time for David, who is uh, a, a resident in this community, to come up to Nabal and say, hey, can you help a brother out? I got four to six hundred people out here I'm trying to take care of. And it would be nice if you could share some of the of the wealth of, of what you've been uh, received over the year. And <clears throat> David doesn't go himself. He sends ten people out of his group. So they go with a very specific thing. And they basically say, peace to you. Verse six. He sends them, he says, thus you shall greet him. Peace to you. And peace to your house and peace be to all you have. So basically it's shalom, 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 not on just you, but on your family and on all that you own. Then he said to tell his his servants, I hear that you have shearers. Now, your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they didn't miss anything all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men. They'll tell you. Therefore, tell my young men, uh, let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we are coming on a feast day. Whatever you feel that you have at hand, give it to your servants and to your son, David. Now, is this an inappropriate request? No. Because literally, think about it. That part of the world, it's a wilderness. And there was no sheriff on every corner. There wasn't a 911 to call whenever there was a problem. These people literally would have to have their own guards, if you will, in their sh- as part of the shepherding business to protect not only against predators, but also against any roving bandits that might be coming through the area. So literally what David did Without being contracted, he didn't offer the, I mean, he didn't come up to Nabal, you know, previously and say, I'll do this for you if you pay us. He just did it out of the goodness of his heart. He literally protected Nabal and Nabal's men and the, and the animals and all of the wealth of Nabal. He put, he put in a protection over that area so that they didn't have to deal with bandits. So that they didn't have to worry about being uh, beaten up or killed. And so that they didn't lose any of their animals. And through all of it, David did not allow his men to take any of the animals for themselves. So he provided basically a barrier of protection. 
And he didn't get anything for it. He did it just to be a good neighbor, if you will. But when it came time for this big feast, this big gathering, David then says, hey, you wouldn't have such a big feast and such a big harvest if it weren't for what we did for you. So can we have a little bit to help celebrate too? And it's a perfectly natural, I mean, a perfectly honorable request. He wasn't doing anything wrong. And look at what Nabal says to David's servants after they come and ask for this help. When Nabal's, verse 9, when David's young men came, they said all of this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered, who's David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told David all of this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. Every man of them strapped on their sword and David strapped on his sword and about 400 came after David while 200 remained at the luggage with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, behold, David sent messengers out into the wilderness to greet our master and he railed at them. The men were good to us. We suffered no harm. We didn't miss anything when they were, we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all this. He is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Now, again, I don't have time to read it all. So basically what happens is when when Abigail hears what has happened, the very first thing she does, she doesn't go to her husband and try to, to coerce him to do it or change his mind. She simply, as the administrator of the house, as the woman who's responsible for the feast that's been prepared, she starts gathering up raisin cakes and date cakes and she gets loaves of bread, which were probably like pita or, or non-bread, flat bread, um, not these big loaves of bread, but, you know, torn things. And she basically puts together a big package to to transport to David. And she then leads that caravan, mini caravan, if you will, to David and says, I'm glad I caught you before you did anything. And let's see what she says to him. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey. She fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow. Nabal, for as for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, didn't see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. 
Now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil be, I mean, to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. And then she goes on. And look at verse 32. David, well, first of all, before we do that, she didn't do anything wrong. Nabal was the one that did wrong. But Abigail recognizes that if she doesn't intervene, her husband's a jerk. He's not going to back up. He's not going to, he's just going to stand there very, and she's like, I I can't allow all of these people to be killed because that's what's about to happen. David literally says, and forgive the, the crudeness of this, but in the actual language, David said, kill everyone that pisses up against a wall. And what that means is every single male, whether they are a little kid or whether an adult, every single male. Now, they, none of them were at fault. None of them were at fault. It was only Nabal. But David was so incensed. He had been so, not embarrassed, but but so spat upon, if you will, that he, this anger flew up in his. He said, kill them all. Just kill them all. So Abigail is literally stepping in to intervene. And she says, put the blame on me. I didn't hear them. If I had heard them, I never would have sent them the way he, the way he sent them away. Let me share with you something out of my own personal life. When I was, and I'm talking about David here. I, I, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm now moving into David's response. When I was uh, in the United States Air Force in the Philippines, we were the only um, American family attending our church. And our pastor was very, very gracious. And they had us in their home all the time. So we would come over to their home for dinner, for after church or whatever. And they had four children. There was Ami, uh, Lemuel, Faith Joy, and Jeriel. Jeriel was the youngest. Lemuel was about eight years old. And one time we were at their house. And Lemuel had gotten himself up onto the counter and he was like coloring or something with a, 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 like a coloring book. And I came over to see what was, what he was doing. And I was just being very friendly. And I walked up and I got into his personal space and he did not like me being in his personal space. So what did he do? He spit in my face. He literally and hit me literally right here with with his spit. Now, I am a full grown man. I was in my 20s. Instantly, instantly. And I wanted to shred that little boy. I wanted to rip his face off. I was so angry. And I had to take a step back and go, you can't hurt the eight-year-old boy. This is not appropriate. Step back. But that's exactly, exactly what we see happening with David. David, who's done right by Nabal. David, who out of, his, out of the goodness of his heart told his men, don't touch anything of Nabal's. As a matter of fact, you become a barrier and a wall to protect him and his people. 
After all of that, he comes up and he says, you have anything at all that you can honor us with? Anything. And then gets spat in the face, literally, by Nabal. And he instantly, whoop, flames up. Kill them! Kill them all! Grab your swords, men! We're going to kill them all! And the only thing that kept it from happening was the soft answer that came from Abigail. Turn to Proverbs. Proverbs 15. 15, 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. If Abigail had gotten off of her donkey or whatever she was riding on, and instead of falling to the ground on her face, humbling herself before David and then saying, I am so sorry, it's all on me, please forgive, I didn't know anything about, please. If she hadn't done that, if she had gone... Who do you think you are coming in here and telling my husband what he needs to do? David's, the outcome with David would have been completely different. Completely different. But because she was wise enough to understand that she needed to defuse this situation, she was powerless politically. She didn't have any authority to tell David what he could or couldn't do. She was a woman for heaven's sakes. She had no public authority. All she had was the authority over her house. But she knew she had to do something or her house was going to be destroyed. And so she went to the leader, David, and she said to him, it's all my fault. Please, please take it out on me. Beat me if you have to beat anybody. Please don't do what you're thinking about doing to all of these innocent people. They're not the ones that did it. It was my stupid, stupid Foolish husband. His name itself says fool. Everyone should know that he's a fool. I know that he's a fool. And I'm sorry. I should have thought ahead of time and made sure there was privilege. But I didn't. So please, it's all on me. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And as a result, David turns away. Now, look at the words that David said. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left in Nabal so much as one male. Now, Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4, 5, and 6. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4, 5, and 6. If anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, When he comes to know it, 
and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confess the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. And David said to her, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me because of your discretion, because of you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. See, this this oath that David had, he literally said, well, what did he say? He said something like, uh, where was it? It's before that. David's man, every man strap on his sword. Where is it? Anyway, he literally says, I swore before God. I swore before God that not a single male was going to be left to the to the house of Nabal. And so God makes him recognize that he has done a foolish oath. And he backs off. Now, let's compare David with Saul. When Saul has made a foolish oath in the past and is confronted with it, he doesn't back off. He has to save face. He has to say, well, I'm the king. I'm going to do it anyway. But see, and in, in that culture, in the Middle East, in that culture, saving face is incredibly important to people in that culture. They don't want to be made to look stupid. They don't want to be made to look like they made a bad mistake. But David has such a sensitive heart to God and a desire to live for God that when a woman who has absolutely no authority in his life comes to him, he's able to hear through her soft answer the foolishness of the oath that he declared before him and God and his men. And instead of having an arrogant heart, instead of saying, I can't lose face in front of my men, he literally backs up and says, wow, wow, blessed are you, Abigail, because God has used you in a powerful way today to make me to see the mistake I was about to make. The sin, the very great sin I was about to commit. Can you imagine the, traje- the change of trajectory this had on David and his, his, his whole kingship? If he had had this guilt on him. Remember we talked earlier about shame and guilt and how powerful it can be from past sins. But God rescued David from that shame, that embarrassment, that feeling of being less than by the wisdom and discernment of a woman who knew how to act appropriately and who knew how to, uh, to, to take things in her own hands and say, look, we need to make this right and I need to step in where, before any bad stuff happens. <clears throat> if we, the thing, the thing that's, that's also a cool part of this story, David then says, go home, go to your house in peace. Verse 20, 35. 
I have obeyed your voice. I have granted your petition. Then verse 36. Then Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And his heart was merry within him because he was drunk. So she didn't say anything to him at all that night. She just let him go home, go to bed. When he woke up in the morning, then she told him. And (coughs) excuse me. All of the things that had happened. And it says, verse 37, and Nabal's heart died within him and he became as a stone. And 10 days later, Nabal died. Scholars tell us that obviously we don't know because we weren't there. We have no way of doing medical stuff. But what they believe happened was he either had a stroke or he had a heart attack. When he realized how close he had come. To his whole house being destroyed because of his stupidity and his foolishness. Something happened within him and he literally had a stroke or a heart attack and went down and basically became like a stone. And 10 days later, he's dead. And look at what David says in response to that. Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, David said, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept me, his servant, from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, Your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey and her five young women attended her. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. I read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no temptation that hits any human being that is not common to all human beings. But it says God is faithful and with the temptation, God will provide a way out so that you don't have to succumb to the temptation. Even in the hot moment, the flash of being spit in the face. There is an opportunity for you to recognize and to back off. I had experienced it in my own life with an eight year old boy who spit in my face. I don't know what you have experienced in your life, but I'm sure every single one of you can attest to at least once in your life having such a flash of anger and your immediate response is, who do you think you, and and you want to lash out and cause harm. But the reality is, as a child of the Most High God, You have a responsibility to always do what brings honor and glory to your father in heaven. Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility to not act out of selfish ways. Even, even in the flash of the moment. And the reality is God is big enough to take care of your issues. David recognized it right here. God did for David what David was going to do for himself. 
And it ended up, David lived a life of honor. And we still to this day see him as a man after God's own heart, even though he had sins in his life. But we, he was able to walk in integrity in that moment, knowing that he came that close, that close to really messing it up between him and God. And so the story for us and the encouragement for us and the so what for us is, what do we take from this, God? How do we, how do, am I supposed to be like Abigail, always watching for the opportunity to step out and do the right thing because I know it's the right thing regardless of whether or not I have the authority? Maybe. Do we have to guard against being the fool, Nabal, and not worry about being selfish? Or do we have to be like David, who needs to guard against the flash of anger that might cause us to go off into a path that is totally inappropriate and wrong? Uh, the answer to all three questions is yes. And however God chooses to bring this to you, I say, let the Lord do whatever the Lord wants to do. But for me, in my own situation, and this is, this is the takeaway for, for Bob, I still, even to this day, at times struggle with wanting to take it in my own hands and make it right. When I see injustice taking place, when I see people doing things wrong, when my family is harmed, oh, I'm a papa bear. Don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my wife. And I have to, I have to be intentional. Thankfully, I have an Abigail <laughs> who says, stop. And she pulls me back, says, settle down. Take a moment. Think about this. You don't want to say that. I wouldn't have been here 20 years if it hadn't been for Abigail over here. <laughs> so that's my takeaway. But the Holy Spirit can talk to you, whatever the takeaway is for you. But there's power here. If we will let God do the fighting, if we will let God be honored through everything that we say and do, if we will always follow the path of holiness and righteousness and purity and faithfulness, God can sort out all of the injustice. God can sort out all of the bad. It may not be the way we thought it should be. It may not be the way we would have done it, but God can sort it out. And when it's all said and done, it'll be so much better than if we had tried to do it ourselves. We just have to trust God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would please be with us throughout the remainder of this service as we partake of communion. And then as we go home, help us, God. Help us, God, to release into your hands all of the bad, trusting you for the outcome. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.